0: Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show and online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go, even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to the Grill Nation Show. I'm your host, Jason Grill. I appreciate you listening today at 9.80 a.m. and on iTunes. If you're joining us via podcast today, we appreciate it. Or if you're listening or joining us on the web at grillnationshow.com. Appreciate you joining us each and every week on this show. We've, uh, we've had a lot of fun shows recently and this one will be very similar. It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot. We're going to learn a lot and uh, we're going to meet a really cool person here in Kansas City. You connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill and I'm on social media. Just search for my name, Jason Grill on Instagram, Facebook, and on Snapchat. Um, I want to thank our partners and supporters of the show before we bring in our guests today. Supporters of the Girl Nation show include title sponsors, which are Trusts and MoBank, BOK Financial, Two West Advisors, and also we have contributors to the show, which include the KCADC, Can't See Area Development Council, thanks to Tim Cowden, Port KC, thanks to John Stevens, and Brian Sarf from True Wealth and Company as a guest host and on-air contributor. Thanks for all of, of the supporters and uh, that help the show run each and every week. Okay, I want to bring in our guests for today's show. Uh, Dennis Strait is joining me. He's a principal at, at Gould Evans. They have been in Kansas City for many years, uh, a great company here in Kansas City. He is a an architect, planner, and landscape architect by trade. His interest is in city building and is, has an ability to recognize opportunities throughout the region. And uh, He does a lot of city planning, and we're going to get into a really deep conversation today about performance-based cities. We're also going to learn more about what the company does. So I want to welcome to the show Dennis Strait, uh, Principal at Gould Evans. Thanks for coming on the show today, Dennis.
1: Jason, thanks for having me. That uh, sounds like a fun conversation.
0: It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, First off, let's learn about you because we had lunch. uh, uh, Julie Nelson Mears connected us uh, about a month or two ago. Time flies in Kansas City. I remember it was starting to get a little warmer outside. Um, You know, We had lunch and we kind of talked about your background. For our listeners, give us a little background. I know you... You went to, uh, I uh, got your master's at, uh, UT, is that right?
1: I did. And from a kid from Oklahoma, that was kind of tough for the old parents, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I came out of Oklahoma, started in landscape architecture, moved down to Austin, Texas for a few years, uh, yeah. primarily working for architects and fixing all the mistakes they were making, and, uh, I decided to become an architect. So mm-hmm. that's where I got the master's at UT, and, uh, the economy was pretty tough down there, and it was a tough place to do business. So for a lot of reasons, we decided to move to Kansas City, and that's been 30-plus years ago. So Kansas City is definitely home now.
0: And what was your impression of Kansas City when you showed up here in probably the early 90s, probably, I assume, right? Thirty uh, years ago, yeah.
1: Yeah, I um, always loved the uh, uh, the midtown area, and certainly the city is a city. So unlike uh, where I grew up, where you, you didn't really have a sense of a city. In fact, unfortunately, the city where I grew up in, um, they uh, – they tore down the city downtown, uh, in urban renewal back in the 60s, and I can still remember that happening. So mm-hmm. we, uh, we essentially, uh, removed the urban part of our city, and I grew up in a suburb without an herb, and that's been probably plaguing me my entire life in terms of trying to get back to those things that make cities, uh, really what they are.
0: So you, uh, you came to Kansas City and you located kind of in the corridor, the heart of the city. When you first got here,
1: yeah, we've lived in like five or six places, all within like a six block radius over the last uh, uh
0: thirty years. That's interesting. I always find it interesting to see how people located here and what their first impressions were of the city. So you came here, and what happened next? I mean, did you you started at your company? Did you kind of work your way up? Did you found it? Did you uh, work at other places? What happened? Because uh, so, you've been there for a while, right? At hey, Cool Evans,
1: uh, yeah, quite a while now. <laughs> uh, I started out uh, looking for jobs with architects, and I was an experienced landscape architect, and most architects didn't know what to do with me. And it took uh, took six months before I landed a position, and frankly, the position I landed was with a planning firm, Mm. which wasn't what I was trying to do. I was trying to move on into architecture, but uh, a guy named Ralph Oshner, uh, who was a city planner who had bought the old hair-and-hair planning firm, and was doing some really interesting work, Uh, he offered me a position and uh, worked with Ralph for three years. Um uh, along the, the way, I, uh, we did a lot of collaboration with uh, Glenn Leroy, who was a principal with Gould Evans at the time. Uh, Glenn and I got to know each other, and uh, Glenn recruited me over to Gould Evans to help start the landscape architecture studio and also to uh, help with the architectural practice, and that's what got me into architecture
0: finally. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell us about Gould Evans, since you've been there now and you are the principal. Uh, tell us about the company and what it does and how you help businesses and people throughout this region and throughout the country.
1: Yeah, one of many principles. I'll start out with that. Uh, We started in the 70s in uh, Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, Bob and Dave uh, started the firm there, and uh, uh, in the uh, 80s, Bob moved over to Kansas City and started a Kansas City studio, and uh, today we have studios in New Orleans and Phoenix and San Francisco. We have over 160 people. The majority of us are still here in the Kansas City and Lawrence offices, uh, about half of us, and... Uh, we are a uh, a planning and design firm we 've uh, since the beginning we 've always had a focus in education um, we 've done a lot of workplace uh, 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 projects over the years uh, and we 've been involved in a variety of other things the, uh, uh, the firm 's done a lot of civic work um, and uh, and does a lot of planning assignments too so we, we have a, a diverse practice
0: you guys are involved in the in the kind of the community and or uh, not charity, but community and civic organizations in progress, but also have your business as well. I feel like you're very involved with entrepreneurs and with, uh, with people uh, as well as doing the day-to-day to, to pay the bills of the company. It seems like that's a focus for you guys to focus on two different things.
1: Uh, we tried to find that uh, blend where we can take the expertise we developed uh, through our practice and uh, use it to help build a stronger community. We have a, a for the last four years, we've had a, uh, an active classroom in the studio, uh, which is very unusual uh, mm-hmm. for any business to have kids coming in on an almost daily basis. It's a joint program with uh, uh, the Department of uh, Education at uh, Rockhurst University, mm-hmm. and it's an out-of-school program that uh, allows kids uh, an opportunity to uh, learn how to be self-directed learners mm-hmm. uh, and, frankly, offers uh, uh, teachers the opportunity to learn how to guide self-directed learning outside the classroom and uh part of the reason that's been successful in our office is that it gives kids a totally different atmosphere to uh to work in and that changes their perspective and ultimately change helps to change their uh, uh, their engagement
0: you have a new office location
1: right we do
0: tell us about that
1: uh we're thrilled to be in a brand new location in our old home of westport mm-hmm. we've been in westport for 30 or 23 years uh and uh, when we moved into westport we uh renovated the Old Manor Square Shopping Center into a, a workplace, and it was funky and cool and uh, and uh, a great space for us for many years, but it, it got tired, and we were needing to either renovate or move. Uh, renovation was going to be painful, and uh, we didn't want to move out of Westport, and it took us about a year to finally locate the office, which was two blocks down from, from where we were. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we'd done a full renovation on one of the last historic buildings in the Westport area, and uh it's become a great home for us.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. It's got all of the modern uh amenities, doesn't it? Beautiful architecture. You guys obviously know how to do that stuff. So, cool studios. It's going to be a cool place to to check out. I'm sure everyone has driven past it at some point if they've if they've been to Westport, right? It's very 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 right there. <laughs> we're
1: we're enjoying it quite a bit, we still think Westport's uh Like Kansas City is nationally, Westport's kind of a secret in Kansas City in terms of a great place to have a business Mm -hmm. because of all the amenity it offers to the daytime business community.
0: Love it. Uh, Dennis Strait is our guest today from Gould Evans. Uh, You can check them out at GouldEvans.com. We're going to be right back with more Grill Nation. Welcome back to the Grill Nation Show. I appreciate you listening again today on 980 a.m. or on iTunes via podcast or at our website, grillnationshow.com. I'm going to post uh, photos of our guests today and also you can find all of our old shows. We've done over 205 shows since we've rebranded as the Grill Nation Show. They're all on the website at grillnationshow.com. Joined today by Dennis Strait, who's a principal at Gould Evans in Kansas City. Their website is Gould, that's G O U L D Evans.com. Uh, really interesting, uh, company here in Kansas City and, and really going to get into some interesting topics here on this segment. Uh, Dennis, welcome back to the show. When we met for lunch with, uh, Julie Nelson Mears, we were talking about all about city planning, about Kansas City's setup, about, you know, what are our challenges moving forward? What have we done well? What do we need to improve on? Uh, all things that we, I get really jazzed up about as a, uh, guy that loves the city and wants to make it a better place and wants to keep growing and keep accelerating and keep doing the right things. Um, We talked about performance based cities. Um, Explain to us what those are and what you mean by that, because I know that that's something you uh, have done a lot of work on and and you know a lot about. So tell us what that is.
1: Well, um, uh, we've been uh, planners for most of the life of the firm Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, for the past few years we 've started uh trying to help cities look at themselves in a different way. Um, <clears throat> uh, a lot of what we have to deal with with the communities is uh, the complexity that we 've created mm-hmm. um, uh over the last seventy five years and how we uh, how we try and plan and regulate and guide cities um, uh so we're we 're trying to create simplicity in the discussion. And to focus cities on uh, on this this new way of looking at themselves in uh, in such a way so, so they can build value and be able to do all the things that uh, that people want their cities to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are uh, starting to call it this performance based approach um, because it is looking at your city like um, Joe Menakazi, one of our uh, one of our mentors, is is used to talking about cities as farms. And if you're if you think about your city as a farm and you're the farmer, uh, you quickly learn which parts of your of your farm are most productive and which are least productive, and you're very careful to protect those productive areas, and you're very careful about how you manage those non-productive areas. Uh, and you can look at your city the same way, and you can identify uh, which parts of your overall acreage are generating revenue and which parts aren't generating so much revenue. Some of that's pretty obvious in terms of vacant land, um, but others isn't so obvious. And once you start looking at it, it gives you a new lens to uh, to help guide your thinking about where you focus your resources. And in a time when our resources uh, aren't adequate to meet all of our, our wishes, um, that's an important place to start.
0: You mentioned the farm analogy um, in that description of a performance-based city and why you care about that why is measuring value by the acre more important than measuring value by the property as we do now in our city throughout the country as well?
1: So, um, again, uh, try and keep this simple. And
0: I'll just tell our listeners, Dennis, uh, we talked about this before and I didn't come up with that genius question myself. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was never good at, uh, when I was politics, politician, I, I was always afraid to go, uh, run for office in the, uh, St. Joe or the Buchanan County area, because I have to uh, learn more about farming, and that is not my strong point. So uh, your analogy was interesting, but seriously, we'll, tell, we'll both be in trouble. Goes <laughs> much than that. Tell us about uh, the analogy, and or tell us more about why you should value by an anchor and not by the value of the property.
1: So uh, we're going to focus the discussion on infrastructure, something mm-hmm. as glamorous as infrastructure, and as uh, current as the infrastructure discussion. Um. Because if you look at cities, uh, uh, at their investments, um, if you look at the infrastructure investment or as an investment, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the primary things that a city has to m- manage, maintain, and that it offers to the private sector, which is really what builds the value in the community. The city just provides that network that the private sector plugs into and provides value mm-hmm. and provides all the wonderful things that we think of in terms of, uh, uh, the diversity that creates Kansas city. um, so when you look at your infrastructure network and uh you look at how much revenue it's generating again similar to a farm uh and you measure that revenue against how much infrastructure investment you have uh you can start to see some interesting features
0: mm.
1: um so one way we started looking at or having uh, or asking people to consider their city is to look at your city prior to 1950 and after 1950 um because that was a threshold moment in most cities around the country. Um, And it largely has to do with moving away from uh, the period in our history when we built cities around uh, people and what it took to move around as individuals into an era now where for the past 75 years we've built cities based on cars, or maybe people in cars, but primarily cars, and what that allows you to do in terms of how you can spread out and access resources. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously allows you to spread out quite a bit more because you can get somewhere a lot faster in a car in five minutes than you can on foot. Uh, so you know, the, the ability or the, the need to cluster has become less important, and that's encouraged us to take advantage of the space we have and spread out and, and, uh, uh, and utilize that that new mode of transportation. What we didn't necessarily realize along the way was that we were starting to invest in infrastructure in a dramatically different way than we ever had in the history of city building. Uh, So now we have cities with a a substantially higher amount of infrastructure per resident than we used to build. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you look at cities prior to 1950 and post-1950, you can pretty clearly see that change in pattern. And if you measure cities pre-1950 and post-1950, you start finding things like we were sharing this at the speaker series last year that, um, Since 1950, Kansas City has grown almost four times in size. Now, we went from a city of around 80 80 square miles to a city of now almost 320 square miles. Um, We are still the same size of population in Kansas City, Missouri, as we were back in 1950. But we're occupying a lot more ground and requiring a lot more streets and infrastructure to get to all that ground. Mm -hmm. And we're occupying at a much lower intensity than we occupied pre-1950 Kansas City. So having that, if you start measuring your city by a by this per acre basis, um, since you're building infrastructure to cover all that acreage, and uh, if you measure it by acre and measure your return on your investments in terms of the property taxes that those acreages are g- generating, we'll call that the crops if you want to, mm-hmm. um, you get a much higher yield, in the more intensely used portion of the city, which t- turns out to be those parts of the city built before 1950, were which were built at more of a of a human scale. Uh, so it's our midtowns, downtowns, our central neighborhoods. Uh, then you do post 1950, where we spread out and we were building at the scale of that you could reach with an automobile. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Kansas City has got to be one of the most spread out cities there is in the country, as far as a middle-sized to large-sized city i mean they're just 320 square miles you said um most cities aren't that big (laughs) i mean let's be honest right right and it's and that causes a lot more uh pressure to you know to fix things right and less less money to do it with budget you mentioned the same amount of people were roughly We've grown a little bit. I think we had 3,000 new people last year, but my point is it's not growing at a Nashville pace where you have 150 people a day moving there. Right. And so, you know, how do we pay for all this extended infrastructure and you mentioned 380 versus 320? I mean, think about 80 80 square miles of fixing and updating and keeping things happening versus 320. It's a lot.
1: Uh, I suspect, and I'm not ready to f- defend this, but I suspect we could point to all of our problems based on just that, that one dynamic. The one fact that we changed from an 80-mile city to a 20 mile city um, in terms of the simple things like infrastructure but also police protection and even education. It's all affected by how much we spread ourselves out and and uh, spread out our, our resources. Mm-hmm. Then
0: Dennis straight is with us. Principal at Gould Evans. A couple more minutes in this segment. You mentioned your, uh, speaker series, uh, in your last comments and what, what is that? And why did uh, your company start that? Uh,
1: we approached, uh, Crosby Kemper with the Kansas City public library now a year and a half ago, uh, with this idea of having a speaker series that looked at this issue of, uh, performance-based, uh, city planning. um, and he was supportive of the idea, so um, we had uh, three speakers come in individually on a, an every other month basis from January through into the late spring. Uh, our first speaker was uh, uh, a gentleman who's more or less led this discussion about looking at your cities from a performance-based perspective. Uh, his name is Charles Barone. He's a, uh, a born-again uh, traffic engineer, mm-hmm. a city planner who realized that most of the work he'd done for the first half of his life and his career was uh, not really generating value. It was generating liabilities, and and it wasn't being built efficiently, and he was getting frustrated by that. So he started this movement that has uh, since become known as the Strong Towns Movement, uh, which helps people uh, understand what we've built over the last 75 years and the challenges it's created. Our second speaker was uh, uh, an architect, uh, urban designer, uh, real estate developer uh, from Asheville North Carolina uh Joe Manikazi has a practice uh, a studio he calls Urban 3 who's become uh, uh, one of the best urban storytellers around who really helps us understand how uh cities can be productive in terms of the development that we do. Mm-hmm. And he compares things that uh you know most people would not have uh, expected um to um, commercial buildings that have been around since 1910 that you know, look like they're barely operating, you know, they're still occupied, but they're not a thriving business necessarily. Compares that to a Walmart and when you, or any big box store, and when mm-hmm. you compare that on a per acre basis, which again is the measure we should be worrying about because mm-hmm. it's a measure of where we can truly find return on the investment in infrastructure. Uh, when you compare those things, you find that those little stores in our central city areas are generating a lot more value for our city than those things that we think are generating.
0: That's an interesting point. I want to leave with that here after the break. We're with Dennis Strait today from Gould Evans. You're listening to Girl Nation. I got that sunshine in my pocket, got that good soul in my feet, that in my it drops. back to the Grill Nation Show, 980 a.m. and on iTunes via podcast and at grillnationshow.com. Appreciate you listening today and always every week. Very fascinating interview so far with Dennis Strait, principal at Gould Evans. Uh, check their website out at gouldevans.com. Great firm here in Kansas City, architect. Uh, he's a uh, done a lot of things with architect, landscape architect, planning. We're talking about um, development, and you were mentioning your speaker series. Let's just briefly talk again about uh, how, why you did that, and uh, maybe you wanted to mention one of the other speakers that came into town as well.
1: So it was primarily to start the discussion here in Kansas City about this uh, different way of looking at cities mm-hmm. in terms of the performance basis of considering your city. Um, as we were uh, developing this program, I met with David Borm of the Mid-America Regional Council and described the first two speakers and – uh, uh David's counsel was that, uh, you know, that's going to be very depressing. Do you have any, any suggestions about where we go from here? And could you, could you provide a speaker that uh, would give us some insights there? Uh, which led us to, uh, uh our third speaker was, uh, uh, with the incremental development alliance. Mm-hmm. It was their national director, Jim Kuman, uh, who came to town to help underscore the importance of small development to the ecosystem of a city. Uh, Small development being anything from a single-family home to a duplex, a triplex, a multiplex, a small commercial building, Uh, but the kinds of buildings that create our neighborhoods, which we used to build naturally. um, But again, over this last 75 years, we've uh, lost track of that natural way of building and created systems of building and um, uh, practices of building that focus more on projects that have just grown and grown in scale which have very little to do with neighborhood building. Uh, they're more based on projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's neighborhoods that create value in a city and it's small development that creates neighborhoods. Um, so the incremental development alliance helped us understand that, uh, um, because we've ignored that important way of city building, we've created difficulties and challenges and hurdles for, for doing that way of city building. Uh, and we've really regulated ourselves into a way that we, we've not allowed ourselves to continue to build that value the way that we used to. So it was primarily a a public information series to start a conversation.
0: Yeah, what's fascinating about this is, you know, you typically when you're talking about development, you're talking about the whole mainstream talk is now about incentives, right? We're not talking about incremental development or small-scale development, why that's important. So it's interesting to hear that you guys took this on, um, and it's something you guys care about as a company, and, and, and why is that? Just because you are, you want to change the world, or is it? Is it help uh, in your business as well? I'm just curious about that.
1: Uh, so, so it's because we believe that Kansas City is a, a special place
0: mm-hmm.
1: and has the potential to be a leading city in the future.
0: That's a positive thing to hear. I like hearing that. That's a well, good to hear.
1: Um, well, we do have some unique advantages. Um,
0: what, what are some of those? From well, your perspective and what you do, I want to know. You
1: know one, one of the uh, unique advantages is that we're a big, small town, uh, and anybody that comes here quickly recognizes that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get to go to monthly or regular chamber breakfast meetings, and they're introducing new people into town, new leaders of, of our local businesses. And to a T, the ones that come in from out of town are just sold almost instantly uh, by how wonderful it is to become part of the Kansas City community. And how easy it is to get to know people and to get engaged in your community mm-hmm. that's an incredible strength that's an incredible positive for the city to go forward because we we have a way of engaging uh, which is a fundamental way of having a conversation and working through problems and finding solutions together so there's a, it's a positive yeah um, we built a beautiful city thanks to George Kessler and to many of the efforts over the years um, so we we have a a beautiful place. We might not have a, a mountain range like Denver or an ocean like uh, Los Angeles, but we've got a beautiful place that we've built that people recognize when they come here and get to enjoy, mm-hmm. and we all get to enjoy. Um, and frankly, our, our current situation is one that gives us uh, uh, a leg up on most other cities. Uh, this, um, um, the fact that we've um, uh, allowed our city to disinvest over the last 75 years is a travesty. Uh, and the impact it's had on our entire community is is um, something that you know we're fortunately now trying to grapple with and move forward.
0: Yeah, know, we do have a lot of advantages in Kansas City. It's great to hear those um, from Dennis Strait. Dennis, one of the issues that we keep hearing more and more about, at least locally and and nationally, is affordable housing and how it will, how it is happening in our country and and how it's happening in our city. And if Kansas City is affordable, is it not affordable? Um, talk to us about that, and then I want to get into how it relates to performance city-based strategy. So Kansas is still affordable, right?
1: Well, compared to our aspirant cities, sure, certainly. Which We're, are what, Nashville,
0: <clears throat> Portland, Austin's of the world that are doing yeah. this performance stuff.
1: You're Those just... cities that we would aspire to be if we mm-hmm. talked to talked amongst ourselves. <clears throat> um, so we are affordable, uh, but not for everybody. So there are affordable housing issues for significant portions of our population that we need to be addressing. Mm-hmm. Um we're also strapped for resources, and this gets back to the 320-mile city that we built, and how we spread ourselves too thin in terms of being able to afford all the things that we've promised and that we committed to. Um, so this is a long-range attitude. Uh, this idea of performance-based cities—it uh, cities. uh, it won't immediately solve the affordable housing problem. Uh, we do have some new policies that the city's been pulling together that that have some good ideas there that'll uh, what help. What are us. some of those? Well, <laughs>
0: I know you know this legislate or this this council ordinance well.
1: There's there's a variety of thing that ranges from uh, 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 educating, helping people understand how to own homes, uh, to uh, creating opportunities uh, for uh, for accessibility to uh, 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 to uh, the, the homes that we have available in, in the city and to build more homes in the city. Uh, there's bold ideas that are in that plan that talk about uh, 5,000 homes in the next four years and, uh, uh, finding $75 million to, to create those homes or to help create those homes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 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 all those things are things we should be trying to do. Um, the challenges is, is that that 75 million is going to go fast. Um, so, uh, we could spend all seventy-five million on new two-bedroom homes, and at the most economical way, we'd still only build about uh, four hundred homes.
0: That's not enough. It's not <laughs> nearly enough, and
1: uh, and then we'd have to look for the next seventy-five million. Uh, and I know there's lots of different ways we could spend the seventy-five million, but the point is, we don't just have seventy-five million laying around because we are strapped in lots of ways with all the commitments we've made. So if we were to refocus our efforts so that we were uh, really trying to nurture those portions of the city that are creating value for us, uh, our central city, um, downtown, Westport, all those areas, um, and um, managing those places which are costing us money every day Mm -hmm. to minimize those costs so that we create more return on our infrastructure investments, we would have more resources to apply towards our critical needs such as affordable housing. So that's how you would tie it in the long range back to the performance-based approach.
0: It's not a unique issue for Kansas City, though. It's happening all over the country.
1: Well, that's true. That's
0: yeah. certainly true.
1: Um, we're just, I, I feel unique because we are at this point where we're starting to recognize the opportunity to reinvest in those areas that we've disinvested in over the last seventy-five years, and uh, we can—we—we we know a lot more now about um, the problems that we've created. And there are lots of cities dealing with this. We can apply good strategies to uh, to build back a city that, uh, uh, that not only creates affordable housing and accessibility to housing for all segments of the population, uh, but also does that in a sustainable way. So mm-hmm. it's an important threshold that we're at for the city uh, and one that I think we're uh, well-positioned to take advantage of.
0: You mentioned other cities. Um, what, it would be surprising to, to know what cities are doing well. With this and with performance-based strategy, and um, shockingly, it's probably somebody very close to here isn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, in terms of but we were of talking
0: s- about this in an earlier off-air area, so I wanted to make sure the listeners know that good stuff's happening on the other side of the the river.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I am very encouraged by the uh, direction that uh, uh, the unified government is going with the guidance of their city building.
0: KCK for all those who don't.
1: Yeah, yeah, KCK yeah. has uh, has adopted many of these performance-based strategies, working with the Strong Towns organization, working with John Madikazi's Urban Three Group, uh, and with their own staff, uh, making some very intelligent decisions about where they can see uh, good investments, good uh, valuable portions of the city that could be more valuable with the right guidance and nudging. And they're starting to put more emphasis in those parts of the city. Um, again, they're not trying to abandon the rest of the city. They're just trying to build a more healthy um, city through the resources that they have and the assets that they have.
0: Um, These are kind of enforced to right? you, right? There's other cities that maybe waited too long. I mean, well, you know, can't that gets it, back to the like uh,
1: the Detroit example we were talking about earlier. Yeah, um, uh, Chuck Marone with Strong Towns describes Detroit as uh, not an anomaly but uh, as early. Uh, and trying to help people understand that uh, detroit 's uh, an outcome of the the lack of attention towards this attitude of performance and the problems we 've created for our cities throughout the country through this uh, 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 spread out way of building for cars and for you know, the last seventy five years mm-hmm. um, uh, so Detroit is uh, now a national model of uh, of what we all want to avoid uh, Kansas City doesn't feel anything cl- close to Detroit, um, but there are many parts of the UG that do feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are they are at a point where it's a necessity to start you know doing what they can to move their city forward uh, so i I'm inspired by them, and I hope we as a city here in Kansas City can be inspired by them because um, we don't need to wait until we get to that point to start making more intelligent decisions about how we guide our city forward. We could follow that pattern now.
0: Very interesting stuff. Um, We're going to be back for one final segment with Dennis Strait from Gould Evans. After the break, I want to talk to him about uh, what Kansas City can do to improve its performance next. I want to talk about some hot zones in this city and some potential areas that we'll be developing uh, in this performance-based city strategy soon. And also, I'd like to know more about um, why our poorest neighborhoods are subsidizing our most affluent neighborhoods and how is this possible uh with everything else going on in today's society and in Kansas City. And hopefully we'll get some more good tidbits from Dennis Strait, principal at Gould Evans' website. Their website is GouldEvans.com. Thanks for joining us today on the Real Nation Show on 980 A.M. We'll be right back. I wonder- Welcome back to the Grill Nation show, 980 AM. Thanks for joining us today. Greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Uh, we're with Dennis Strait today, principal at Gould Evans. The website is gouldevans.com. Cool website. You can learn more about what they do and their practice and uh, what they've done throughout the country and, and read more about what they're doing in the community. Uh, Dennis, uh, a lot of things Kansas City needs to do to improve its performance. We've talked about investing in infrastructure. Um, one of the questions I have is... What do we do, to do next? What do we need to develop next? Where should we go next? What should we be putting our resources into, our investment in, into, what part of the city should we be doing that in?
1: Well, um, uh, probably three steps. Uh, first step is um, uh, as we look at our city and understand where it's performing well, mm-hmm. um, uh, we we'll also are also going to understand where it's not performing well, and let's stop doing those things. So let's stop the bleeding. That would be the first step. Uh, the second step is to start to use the uh, city that we have more effectively. Um, um, and you'll see quickly when you look at performance-based uh, uh, city assessment, the uh, uh, the most valuable portions of the city are the pre-1950s portions of the city uh, that were built at a scale where the return on the infrastructure investment is greater because the intensity of development is greater. It's mm-hmm. a pretty simple formula. Uh, So we ought to be reinvesting in our central city neighborhoods. Uh, We ought to be reinvesting as we can, certainly with downtown, but throughout Midtown. Um, uh, We've got a lot of opportunity throughout the 1950s portion of Kansas City. We could continue to grow at the rate we're growing now for another 40 years and not build anything outside the original 1950 boundaries. Uh, So there's plenty of opportunity to uh, build in those parts of the cities that create the greatest return on investment in terms of property tax per square foot. Or square acre.
0: Where's our hot zones at? You you mentioned to me off air, um, you have a map that shows the red zones of where the most economic development is, or activity is, excuse me. Um, for yeah. our listeners, where are those? So Joe
1: Manikazi showed us how to create these value per acre assessments, mm-hmm. and you can pretty simply do those for your city. And when we did it for Kansas City, it shows, in the terms of a heat map, uh, a burning hot zone that runs from the river down to 85th Street from State Line over to, uh, uh, to Troost. And that is the economic engine of Kansas City. That's where our most valuable properties are. Uh, Not necessarily the most valuable homes, but the most valuable collection of properties within a very urban, um, again, pre-1950s scale. Um, So So
0: your argument, you should be investing right there.
1: You should certainly be taking care of that precious resource. Again, back to the farm analogy, that's your most productive crop. So you ought to be making sure that it's, continuing to thrive and do well mm-hmm. um the surprising thing is when you look on the other side of that state line of Troost and mm-hmm. you look at those same square miles those same 12 square miles or so or 16 square miles um you find that there's a dramatic change in property value mm-hmm. and we all we all would expect that sure. it's about five to ten times the change of what you would see on the west side of truce
0: just a couple blocks over
1: just a couple of blocks over uh what we don't expect is when you compare that red-hot part of Kansas City to our our newer neighborhoods that were built since
0: 1950. In
1: Kansas City, uh, Missouri? Oh, I'm staying completely within okay. Kansas City, Missouri okay. for this discussion. Uh, when you compare our central city to our outlying areas, mm-hmm. you see 10 to 50 times the value in the central city. Um, that might surprise some people because we see some very affluent neighborhoods and we think that's great value. Uh, when you look at the... Uh, return on investment side of things, the amount of uh, property tax you're generating per amount of infrastructure you've invested, you actually find some surprising things. You start to see that there are many areas in our east of truce neighborhoods where on a value per acre basis, again, the way that you can measure performance for a city, you're seeing more value than what we would think to be our wealthy neighborhoods,
0: mm-hmm. some of
1: our wealthy neighborhoods.
0: Mm-hmm. Outside of the central city.
1: With, right, on the edges of our city. Mm-hmm. Um, most people don't see the city that way, but once you start understanding the city that way, you can start to understand where you can build value and where you're building liabilities, and that's an important step forward towards a performance-based city.
0: How does your uh, your ideas, your 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 studies, your maps, how does that work with people that think that it's time to spend more and invest more east of Truist? Because it's been uh, the east side has been underappreciated for all these years, according to many people in and, and City Hall and the media and whatnot.
1: Yeah, we are definitely at a threshold. Um, uh, that red line or that, yeah, the red line of Troost, Mm -hmm. uh, which is still pretty evident in that heat map of the city uh, has breaks. There are already areas where development is spilling over beyond that red line. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's certainly momentum building in the city towards uh, looking now at the east side as a a rebuilding opportunity. Uh, And, all the displacement concerns that come along with it. And it's a conversations we need to have. Um, so it's great that we're having those conversations. Um, uh, it's an important time to be thoughtful about how we reinvest in those neighborhoods um, in ways that don't create dipla- displacement, do create wealth building for the existing communities, and do create sustainable value. Uh, the, the The interesting thing about East of is it's the, the exact same development pattern as West of Same housing stock, same street blocks, same amenities. Um, it's just been artificially segregated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's got the same fundamental infrastructure and building blocks for city building that our best productive part of the city has. So it can and will become, once again, a very productive part of the city um, and easily could become as valuable as the rest of our central city areas. And could become um, part of that economic engine that drives our city
0: forward. That's interesting. Um, one of the things I wanted to hit on real quick is is how do our poorest neighborhoods subsidize our most affluent neighborhoods? How does that work? How is that possible?
1: It's back to that uh, uh, that looking at value differently. Um, even though the home values are less, uh, you know, you, you look at homes uh, in newer subdivisions that are easily north of a quarter million dollars, and you look at homes in our are uh, east of truce neighborhoods and you can find them in the $50,000 range. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you think about, well, that's the value disparity. We've got these great values out of these neighborhoods and we've got these poor disinvested neighborhoods in the central city. But when you look at that on a per acre basis, you realize you have many more of those $50,000 homes per block per acre mm-hmm. than you do when you measure the acreage you've dedicated to those
0: more summer. expensive homes. Yeah.
1: So – Because of that, the tax generation, the property tax generation, in some of our poor neighborhoods is actually greater per acre. So it's greater proportion of their occupied part of our city than some of the more apparently affluent parts of our city.
0: That's interesting. I think my mind just did a a somersault there, trying to fit that all in perspective.
1: No, I'm sorry about that. We've
0: got to get that to uh, the mainstream. We've got to keep doing speaker series at Gould Evans because um, I think if we told Quinn Lucas that or other people, they'd be like, oh. Okay, that makes sense. It makes sense when you really think about it. Um, and you not, you don't hear many people that are making these decisions talking about like that, which is really cool to hear you say that, which is why we need more people to check out what you guys are doing at GouldEvans at GouldEvans.com. And also, I'm sure you guys will have more events and hopefully more informational sessions as we get going on performance-based cities, the strategy, what places are doing well, and just looking at these maps would be really interesting. Let me
1: give a shout out to uh, one of our planners in our studio, Um, Abby Kinney. Has started our the first unofficial chapter of the Incremental Development Alliance here in Kansas City. For the past five months, we've uh, been meeting monthly at uh, Charlie Hooper's um, Mm -hmm. and assembling folks interested in this uh, smaller scale of development to help uh, build a network of small scale uh, developers. Butch um, Rigby was our speaker last night. Uh, mm-hmm. We're continuing to build momentum there, and it's a great place for people interested in rebuilding our city to plug in.
0: Interesting stuff. Uh, Dennis Strait has been our guest. He's at a principal at Gould Evans. I want to thank uh, everyone for listening today. And, Dennis, thanks for coming on the air today and sharing some of these interesting uh, tidbits and facts. And It's really an interesting way to think about uh, how our cities are growing and what they should be investing in. So thanks for coming on the show.
1: Jason, thanks for caring about our city.
0: I do care. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll see you again next week here on Grill Nation.